Hello and welcome to another episode of Bitcoin in Asia. Our guest this week is Igor Runetz, founder and CEO of BitRiver, a large-scale mining data center operator in Russia with triple-digit megawatts in the Irkutsk region of Siberia. Igor founded and successfully ran a data center business out of university focused on setting up cloud infrastructure in more difficult parts of the world for Western clients, then found Bitcoin and his new calling while getting his MBA at Stanford. We talk about his going full steam into Bitcoin mining, spending some time in Beijing and then setting up operations in Siberia in that process, the infrastructure and regulatory issues at play for energy access in Russia and the CIS region, trends he is seeing in demand for mining from institutional customers, both from Russia and abroad, and more. Hope you enjoy this focus on Bitcoin mining in Russia. Hello, Igor. Welcome, welcome to the show today. How are you? I'm fine. Hello. How are you? Good. Joining us from Moscow today, right? Yes, correct. Great. Well, for those who aren't quite familiar with you yet, uh, can you kind of share a brief background of um, some of your, your school history, work history uh, in, in Russia? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, my name is uh, Igor Nets, and currently I am a CEO of uh, BitRiver. So, so I did uh, my computer science and electrical engineering degree at uh, Ural State Technical University with honors. Uh, During my studies, um, I joined a pretty large engineering company in Russia. We did uh, several projects in like uh, different industries across the whole country, neighboring countries like uh, energy, oil and gas, transportation, energy distribution. I graduated in 2009, and pretty soon after that, I launched my own business. Uh, In 2010, I launched uh, my own company in telecommunications and data center space. Uh, In 2010, I launched a telecommunication business, which pretty quickly transformed in a pretty um, unique business model. So we were helping companies primarily from the United States, from Western Europe, uh, to deploy uh, points of presence uh, like IT infrastructure in uh, unusual markets. First of all, it was like uh, Russia and neighboring countries, uh, Russia, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Belarus. But after that, we focused on all unusual markets like uh, Africa, Latin America, Asia, uh, Central Asia, Russia, whatever. So kind of uh, American clients, uh, European clients were reaching out to us. All right, mm-hmm. uh, we have like uh, some clients in uh, that uh, certain region uh, in different parts of the world. And they're not uh, satisfied with quality of IT services. Uh, can you help us deploy like uh, in, uh, data center services like um, cloud infrastructure in that region? And we were helping them with that. Yeah, I can imagine how that'd be super relevant to to some of the stuff you're doing now. And when you were, so you're working on different continents, setting up uh, cloud infrastructure, setting up data centers, uh, and and your client base was pretty global at that point, from North America, from Europe, Russia? I would say at that point, um, it was primarily United States and some countries from Western Europe. Uh, Russia wasn't... uh, Okay, we, we got um, several pretty large clients from Russia, but I would say that our key market was the United States at that point. Interesting. Uh, so, so Western companies looking to set up, uh, set up 
and places that were hard to reach. You had the expertise in doing that. Very cool. Yeah. And, that, and that was your kind of right after college. Essentially, you started that company, um, you know, a, a year or so after uh, jumping into entrepreneurship right after university. Was that uh, a common thing to do or were you kind of an outlier? I would say I was an outlier at that moment, and it was primarily kind of uh, family background because, like, uh, my dad was uh, um, initially he was uh, in military, but after Soviet Soviet Union collapsed, he got into entrepreneurship. He tried probably like uh, twenty different uh, business ideas, uh, twenty different lines of business before got successful. Uh, so and. Uh, as a child, I was kind of observing uh, his attempts uh, to launch uh, different businesses. Yeah, okay. I, I, I always uh, remember him trying uh, some business idea it, it, that would fail, that would fail uh, after one month of running, that would fail after six months of running, but he was uh, keeping uh, trying and trying and trying. <laughs> well, and you're, and you're watching this and, and uh, the family is all behind him. Was, 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 uh, was it ever kind of a loss of, loss of faith or you were, you were all about it? Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, that's funny that uh, for him it was all about offline businesses. It was like construction, grocery store. Um, at some point, it was security agency, gym, or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. So, so this is like early mid nineties, I guess. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it's kind of uh, mid nineties, and uh, he got into k- kind of established business probably by. Uh, 2005, 2007. Okay, a lot, a lot of trial and error, a lot of uh, grit to get through that. And offline, now uh, you know, we're in kind of this more online world, obviously, uh, 25 years later here. So, so you start that, uh, you have some success with it, and then you decide to do some graduate uh, study in the US uh, at Stanford. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, maybe the Start X experience, some of your um, time in the US? Yeah, absolutely so. As I said, uh, prim- uh, majority of my clients, my biggest client base was from the United States. And me with my engineering uh, background was like wondering, okay, how I uh, talk same language with, uh, with my clients, how do I understand business environment in the United States uh, better? And I decided to apply to business school, got to Stanford. Uh, it was very like dramatic change to me because before I never been to the United States. Okay. Uh, I was kind of doing a business with the United States remotely and being a serving clients from the United States, but never been to the United States before. So it was like a very dramatic change to me. getting to California, getting to Stanford, completely different environment, which is kind of <laughs> so much different from, from like everything I knew in Russia. For sure, that, that uh, Palo Alto weather is a little bit different than uh, than it is out. <laughs> a little bit different, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Particularly in winter. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I spent uh, November to to March in Russia in twenty seventeen eighteen, and I can tell you, I, I, I experienced that firsthand. Um, <laughs> all right, well, interesting. And then, uh, so coming out of that, uh, you, you still have this uh, data center business. Um, and then uh, I guess it's Stanford. Is that when you come across Bitcoin for the first time? Yes, exactly. I came across the Bitcoin at Stanford and, uh, and uh, that idea was really fascinating to me uh, as that kind of uh, opportunity uh, to, uh, to transfer value between the people in any place across the world, like uh, without any regulation, without centralized party. Because no, coming from Russia, 
country uh, with pretty rigid, pretty strict um, foreign exchange uh, controls. Mm -hmm. uh, not, to, not to the degree of uh, China, but uh, people from China would understand uh, what I mean. Um, currency control is very strict in Russia. So it was a fascinating idea to me that you can uh, transfer value so freely between different markets, between uh, different regions, uh, almost immediately without any intermediaries, without need to submit some um, uh, some documents and stuff like that. It was a really fascinating idea to me. And coming from like telecommunications background, um, it was pretty easy move to me to start doing something in that space. Because uh, at that moment, I had uh, some a piece of uh, real estate in, uh, in my hometown in Yekaterinburg, which I was contemplating uh, to use uh, for mainstream data center. Uh, but after learning about Bitcoin, I decided, okay, uh, why not I try mining it? And mm. in early 2015, I just bought some uh, miners from uh, Bitmain, got them delivered to my hometown, and I launched them in uh, that in uh, that uh, piece of real estate I had at that moment. Mm, interesting. Uh, for me, it was kind of a really natural, a really easy move because uh, I had uh, experience with data centers. I had uh, that uh, piece of real estate. I started buying uh, servers from uh, China, uh, from some other Asian uh, markets uh, since 2011. So got tons of experience uh, mm. buying equipment from other region. So it was pretty easy for me. Okay, why not we try miners instead of mm. servers and see? Yeah, yeah, for sure. When you were buying uh, equipment and servers from China starting in 2011, were you were you uh, you know going to Shenzhen? Were you visiting China and visiting these these manufacturers? You were. Did you visit yeah. China when you started buying Bitcoin uh, mining equipment, or was it, it was a kind of a smaller purchase? You were just kind of trusting the, the Bitmain name and making orders. Uh, for the first order, I didn't go to China to purchase uh, that equipment. And the reason for that was uh, pretty simple. At that, po at that point, I already had uh, some uh, friends in uh, China mm. who were fully trusted. So I just uh, called to them, gotcha. right, have you heard about uh, miners? Can you yeah, uh, get yeah. them? <laughs> some of them are for me. And, uh, <laughs> okay. And at that point... Um, uh, he purchased all those devices uh, sent to my data center uh, and all of that was kind of remote because I was already in the United States. Uh, my team mm -hmm. launched those devices and I was kind of um, observing um, how it works and it was really fascinating uh, to me like a distributed compute, uh, computing machine like you know, there are a lot of uh, kind of ideological synergies between my previous business and sure. Uh, I will explain what I mean. The name of my previous business was servers.global. And the idea was to provide computing services kind of on distributed uh, basis, on distributed platform in any place in the world. Mm -hmm. And here we go. Uh, Bitcoin, uh, distributed computing machine, distributed uh, ledger uh, located in all the different places across the world. So it was a, such a fascinating idea to me, so much uh, synergetic. And I was like, okay, here we go. I was looking for uh, to implement that for uh, so many years already. And uh, so I, I, I was really fascinated, really excited about uh, blockchain world. And uh, pretty soon after launching my first operation, I went like all in on uh, blockchain because I saw that it 
implements all the kind of ideas I was uh, thinking about uh, before. So it was very kind of natural and um, long sure. thought um, moved to me. So, and um, at Stanford, I decided that I would uh, probably focus on uh, blockchain, on mining, because like mining very natural to me. Uh, myself, my team got uh, a lot of experience in uh, mainstream data centers, in technical operations. So it was a, a really easy field for us. We're not traders, we're not uh, brokers. Uh, so instead of like uh, doing some exchange stuff or building applications, uh, for us, it was very, very natural to, uh, to launch a mining operation because we were yeah. in uh, telecommunications data center business. So we did yeah. that. I can see that would be a pretty seamless um, entrance. So, you, so uh, you uh, start mining a little bit in 2015, sort of as a test. You decided this is what you want to go into. Uh, leaving Stanford, you first joined Renren in Beijing for a bit. Uh, is that correct? Can you? Uh, it was actually. Between, yeah, it was actually between my first and second year at Stanford. Gotcha. So between those two years, I spent some time in Beijing in. Uh, Zhenzhen company. Um, it was a really exciting, exciting uh, opportunity to see kind of venture capital entrepreneurship um, world uh, in Beijing, in China overall from inside. It was a really fascinating experience and really tremendous uh, networking opportunity to me. Mm. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. That's, that's, that's interesting to have been able to do that then. See the see the uh, kind of infrastructure for fundraising VC startups in Palo Alto and in, in Beijing. And then uh, I guess post Stanford, you head back uh, to Russia to uh, do this full time, which you're doing now. So can, can you give us a kind of a, a brief, uh, some context uh, for BitRiver, brief intro yeah. to your, kind of how the business started and then how it's uh, progressed the last couple of years? Yeah, you're right. So right after Stanford, I moved from uh, Palo Alto, from California to pretty small uh, industrial town somewhere in Siberia, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And is, is this because you, you had kind of, you knew the uh, elect electricity kind of price landscape and you said, hey, this is where I need to be if I'm Bitcoin mining, you know, the, uh, you know how, how cold affects things. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, uh, first of all, I would answer a question of why Bratsk, because it's kind of a pretty random place in the middle of nowhere in the uh -huh. Siberia. Um, it's a actually a unique region. There are, it's kind of probably the biggest concentration of hydropower, um, probably not in the world, but definitely in Russia and uh, probably number three or of such places in the world. So there are uh, several very large uh, hydropower plants in other region. Brask hydropower plant, Ustilimsk hydropower plant, uh, Baguchanska hydropower plant, uh, Irkutsk hydropower plant. All of those uh, power plants were built in Soviet Union to supply electricity, very cheap uh, hydroelectricity to al aluminum smelters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, industry is evolving. So, first of all, um, Soviet Union used to build everything with a lot of reserve uh, for future growth. Not, of, uh, not all of that reserve was realized. 
And also, you know, uh, technology is getting better. And uh, now it uh, takes uh, much fewer kilowatt hours to produce a ton of aluminum that it was like uh, 50 years ago. Uh, that's why a lot of unused um, excess capacity in, uh, say, in uh, Irkutsk region. So it was a very natural place for us to go to because we, we knew there is a lot of excess capacity and that capacity is really cheap. It's sustainable, it's green, it's a hydropower electricity. And most, not most importantly, but another uh, good uh, bonus on top of everything, it's cold. It's mm -hmm. really cold. As well. It's cold for like uh, nine months a year. Uh, so uh, we decided that it's ideal place for us to go because like uh, there is a lot of unused capacity. Um, energy company is very interested uh, to work with us because we reached out to, uh, to energy company and uh, they were, yes, uh, that's perfect. You are a perfect consumer for us. Uh, let's, let's establish that. We felt a lot of support from the very beginning uh, with other energy company to build that. But um, I will also kind of explain how I got to this idea. So initial idea was uh, to build a data center and uh, do like uh, mining for ourselves. So um, myself and uh, my American partner, we established a fund and decided to mine for ourselves, uh, for our investors, uh, for our kind of clients, buy machines, install in our own data center and mine. Uh, but um, there was some changes uh, to our strategy at, at that moment. Some of our investors suddenly decided uh, not to go to Russia. There was some uh, geopolitical attention mm -hmm. at that moment. And uh, they were, okay, uh, we better stay outside of country uh, because uh, there were some um, rumors uh, about uh, sanctions against our energy company. Uh, mm -hmm. We with at some point it was actually put on a, a sanctions list but it was removed from that list um, a little bit later uh, now it's totally safe but at that moment uh, there were a lot of turbulence around that and our investors uh, decided uh, to do mining in another region we set up that for them but um, we got that facility in Bratsk and it was like a pretty tough situation for me because like I was uh, responsible for recovering the uh, money we invested in uh, that facility for our investors. And I decided uh, that uh, the best opportunity is uh, to take responsibility of uh, that facility. So um, I took uh, all the liabilities of uh, that facility and mm -hmm. I got money from my telecommunications business and uh, turned uh, that facility into a uh, mining data center. So it was a pretty tough uh, period of time uh, for me to, uh, to completely pivot the business idea because initially it was, okay, uh, we've got machines, we've got a data center, everything's simple. And uh, suddenly I got unfinished facility, uh, some <laughs> liabilities to, to people who invested money in that facility and no machines. All right. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Goodness. <laughs> Quite the start. Who, who were your investors initially? Were they uh, uh, Russian Russian uh, investors? Were they from around China, from the U.S.? Uh, primarily from the United States. Yeah, sure. Where sanctions would, would uh, obviously be uh, the most concerning. Uh, and and so so you have to you have to think on your feet, pivot pretty quickly. Uh, so what what was kind of the, those initial business lines? What was the focus? Uh, um, what was the 
what, what did the business look like at first and how, how I guess, how was it kind of grown product wise? I know y'all do uh, more than just, um, more than just mining, more than hosting. Yeah. Uh, like after, um, I, I started to manage another facility. The choice was uh, pretty simple for, uh, for me. It was uh, very resonating with my previous experience, and I decided uh, to build, launch, and operate uh, one of the largest, uh, highest uh, standard of uh, servers, uh, data center for mining equipment. I was looking around, I seen uh, as was like uh, shady type of things, uh, data centers for miners, and decided uh, that's not uh, sustainable because I believed strongly and I believe now that uh, market is uh, getting uh, more mature, more institutional, um, more institutionalized. And when like uh, institutional investor is looking for data center, they need to, to see kind of a very transparent, very high standard, very reliable operation and not like some uh, shady garage in a sure. random place. And uh, I decided that we will be operating in other business and focus uh, fully on uh, infrastructure, on quality of servers, on reliability, on uh, providing the highest uptime. So we have like um, everything uh, what necessary to do that. We established a repair center. We had engineers to work 24-7. Mm-hmm. We also, it's kind of... Your engineers, are they... Are they uh... Russian? Are they kind of at first? Were you were you bringing in folks from China to help set up? What did that process look like? No, from uh, the day one, uh, all the engineers were Russians. Uh, I just asked uh, several of my team members from Yekaterinburg uh, to move to Bratsk. They did that. They assembled a team on the ground. They trained that team. No, kind of operating mining machines is very similar to operating traditional servers. Mm-hmm. And having that experience, they were able to establish a very strong uh, um, operations team on the ground, construction team on the ground. Um, from day one, almost all my employees were f- local to Bratsk. Mm-hmm. We, we never relied on kind of um, external um, workforce. Yeah, yeah. Workforce for us. Interesting. Uh, and then, uh, so you kind of you kind of talked about that customer base leaning more to you seeing it leaning more towards kind of institutional folks in the future. Is uh, can you give us kind of a breakdown of customer base now? Is it is it majority institutional? Do you do? Uh... Yeah. Uh, so currently we have clients uh, from seventeen different countries, mm-hmm. and uh, most of them, like I would say probably around 90% all of them are institutional large-scale clients. Um, And I believe uh, that um, this is very aligned with my vision of the market. It's getting more institutionalized, uh, more and more kind of uh, traditional players get into this industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're looking for high standards of quality. Uh, But yeah, uh, we do have uh, some um, like more type of uh, smaller uh, clients, but uh, they are primarily Russians. So we strategically we focus on uh, international markets, uh, but like uh, we are located in Bratsk, and sometimes people from uh, Moscow, from Russia, from Irkutsk region reaching out to us. All right, we have uh, those machines. Can you offer uh, hosting services to us? We accept mm-hmm. those clients, and uh, they represent uh, those certain percent not institutional clients we have. 
Mm. Can you give us a bit of a sense of, of that scale? Uh, maybe not exactly kind of per, per client, but uh, you know, the, the, the scale you're working with at that site uh, and what most of these clients are, are looking for coming in, I guess. Well, I mean, like um, most of our clients is kind of uh, a few megawatt, uh, 10 megawatt, um, 15 megawatt uh, type of scale. Uh, but on kind of low end, as I said, we have uh, some uh, smaller clients and they might be like 10 machines, 50 machines. Also, some of my employees also mine in our facility. So they have like uh, even smaller number of machines, like 10 machines, uh, several machines. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say a pretty, pretty um, large uh, range from a few machines to like uh, 10, 15, 20,000 machines per client. Yeah. And uh, can you share kind of total capacity that you can support now? Uh, so our uh, facility in Bratsk is in total 100 megawatt. It's almost uh, fully filled with the machines right now. Uh, we have uh, probably around uh, 20 megawatt right now to fill. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but at the same time, we are launching construction of a new facility also in Irkutsk region, which mm -hmm. is going to be a little bit over 100 megawatt. So we're looking to double the capacity. Yeah, very cool. Because the demand is pretty strong. So as I said, we have around 80 megawatt right now. Um, but also we have a pipeline, uh, people who will get uh, devices in uh, October, in uh, September. And yeah. uh, to support other business, we are uh, building a new uh, facility, so expanding. Because yeah. as well as 20 megawatt, I believe we will fill during the summer. Uh, and... I guess that that process for acquiring the hardware. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of the way the market's set up in, in Russia for that now? Is it uh, are, are you helping kind of uh, all these folks pull in uh, from from the source? Is it is the secondary market pretty um, competitive? What's 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 the kind of market for hardware look like in Russia right now? And yeah, getting it to these these more uh, kind of remote places in in, in uh, Siberia. Just give us some context for that kind of funny thing about remote places Siberia is that it's only a three hours flight from Beijing. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's much closer to, to China than like uh, many data centers somewhere in the United States, uh, in, sure. uh, in Scandinavia and uh, so on. Um, but uh, kind of to the point, um, we we usually help our clients to connect with the manufacturers directly. We have a pretty strong connect, uh, relations with most of them. So we just uh, connect our clients directly to the manufacturers and help them deliver devices to our data center. Uh, we're not looking into, into reselling devices. Uh, it's, much, uh, it's much more natural for us just to connect our client to the manufacturer uh, introduce yeah. them and allow them to negotiate on everything. And after that, after devices are ready, we just help our clients to deliver them to the data center. I believe mm -hmm. it's a more natural and more transparent business model. Uh, regarding secondary market in Russia, it exists. It's a little bit less developed than, for example, in China. Uh, prices tend to be uh, significantly higher than in China or even in uh, the United States. Significantly. Mm -hmm. what, what kind of percent are you talking about? 
uh, probably two times higher than in China and probably around like uh, 25% wow. higher than in the United States. It's mm -hmm. my approximate um, sense of that. Um, I don't really have a good explanation for that, um, except that um, used devices are really popular amongst like, you know, residential uh, miners who have mm -hmm. like one machine, two machines. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for that is very simple. Uh, Russia is very different uh, in terms of electricity prices, for example, from the United States. In the United States, it's kind of a market economy. More you consume, less you pay. It's mm -hmm. pretty natural. So residential uh, users have a pretty high electricity prices. In Russia, we still, uh, country government subsidize uh, residential users. So industrial clients like our data center would pay a little bit higher than like residential users. Mm -hmm. So some residential uh, res residential users, retail users in uh, in a rural area, they are paying a really 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 low price for electricity, and they are open to buy like all the generation uh, used but cheap devices because mm -hmm. they have very cheap electricity, but they don't have uh, a lot of money. So they are looking for like all the generation used machines. And yeah, yeah. there are a lot of people like that in the country. So um, like smaller scale, really distributed, like mining is very popular in Russia. Uh, there are a lot of people who do you know, like uh, smaller scale mining with like one to five machines. Mm -hmm. uh, those people are driving the whole secondary market uh, by machines. Of, uh, but at the same time, a secondary market is kind of uh, a little bit random in Russia. There are no uh, kind of organized players who uh, arrange the market, who set up deals and stuff like that. So it's it's very chaotic. So as well as residentially, uh, people uh, kind of um, calling, uh, sending emails to uh, different data centers, uh, saying, uh, "Do you have any the old devices for sale?" and so on. Okay, interesting. Are there are there like uh, telegram groups and stuff that are? Uh, there are a lot of them uh, asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm looking to buy uh, two devices, uh, two used devices who have uh, them to sale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's interesting about the kind of makeup of the electricity pricing market there. And obviously it's a, a part of the equation. So that's uh, interesting on, re on the retail side. So, so uh, you're not trying to get in, you're not, you're not a middleman helping, uh, you know, directly folks acquire miners. You connect with uh, the, kind of the bigger companies. What are you seeing on uh, kind of trends for what people are looking to buy now? Uh, have, you, have you seen any change from who people are, uh, you know, who your people are wanting to be connected with in China? And then is there in getting stuff from uh, China to uh, Siberia or uh, you know other places where where uh, these these uh, larger farms are? Is that uh, is it a is it a trucking thing? Trains? Uh, you know, you said it's a three-hour flight. What's what's kind of the way that most of the stuff is getting in? Yeah, uh, so I would say that uh, for Russia overall, the most popular. Uh, way to get miners to the country, to the facility is by tracks because it's uh, relatively quick. It's uh, much faster than by train. At the mm -hmm. same time, it's much cheaper than by airplane. So sure. most people are going off to, for that uh, way of delivery. It's uh, relatively quick. It's um, like, I would say, 
10 to 15 days, so around uh, one and a half, two weeks. And Are there attacks uh, on the import still? Is there political debate around that? Uh, there, there is no tax on import of the devices. Uh, there is VAT, um, value-added tax for imported devices, but it's kind of tri tricky uh, tax because you're getting it back. And mm -hmm. uh, we're helping uh, our clients to work with that. For some clients, uh, some clients set up uh, their local entities to get it back. Um, uh, for clients who cannot or don't want to set up local entity, we help to get uh, that tax back. So it's kind of um, a tricky tax. Mm -hmm. It's not a direct uh, like a duty. You pay uh, that much percent and you're not getting it back. Uh, for VAT, there is an opportunity to get it back. So um, I would say that there are some uh, expense related to get it uh, back, like admi administration expense, because you're not getting it back immediately. You're getting mm -hmm. back it uh, in uh, three months, in uh, four months. But uh, beyond that, uh, beyond that, uh, there are no any like import taxes or anything in Russia. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you you have some of this uh, um, when you talk about kind of other business, so you don't want to exactly be in kind of the uh, the middleman business in terms of secondary market selling or, or uh, uh, in that sense, the, the uh, kind of hardware um, uh, uh, upkeep fixing uh is that something that you you do at all so you you do it internally obviously do you all do any uh, repairs any kind of that uh service for other folks is that something that, that is in demand is it mostly all done uh kind of on site by these bigger bigger farms yeah as i said like uh our, our priority is to provide highest possible uptime to our clients and obviously, like uh, fixing devices on site is uh, one important component of that. So we have a repair center on site. It's certified by Bitmain. It's certified by InnoSilicon. Mm -hmm. uh, before um, pandemic, uh, pandemic started, um, there were plans to get uh, certificates of all remaining manufacturers. Uh, but now we're waiting a little bit um, uh, to get to that. Uh, but like um, people are trained and even now we repair like all, almost all types of devices because like it's not um, very different from device to, the, to another type of device. Mm -hmm. Can you, all right. Uh, so your, your large largest data center now is in Siberia. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, uh, kind of where mining in Russia is, uh, if there's growth in any other regions, if there's growth, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about growth into places like Kazakhstan. Can you talk about uh, kind of the trends in uh, mining geography, specifically in the CIS, um, and also share a little bit about the kind of political uh, regulatory situation uh, in the CIS for mining, uh, and, and if there are any trends there that you're seeing? Yeah, sure. So first of all, about Russia. Uh, in Russia, like Irkutsk region, Krasnoyarsk region, it's a neighboring regions, um, a capital of mining in Russia. A couple of reasons for that. No, not a couple, one reason for that. A very cheap electricity. A lot of hydropower and uh, very cheap electricity. So uh, Irkutsk region, Krasnoyarsk region is the capital of mining in Russia. Uh, people building like a different scale. Mining facilities, some uh, go for garage mining with like a couple hundred devices, some go for 
larger scale, uh, but definitely it's um, highest concentration of miners in Russia. Mm -hmm. In terms of uh, CIS, yes, you are right. Uh, mining is getting more popular in Kazakhstan right now. And Kazakhstan is an interesting region. Uh, prices are there is also relatively low, probably just a little bit higher than in Brask in Irkutsk region, just a, a tiny bit. Um, a little bit easier to admin, uh, to return VAT mm. as this kind of on positive side, a little bit easier. But at the same time, uh, and some clients really care about that, electricity there is generated not by hydropower. It's uh, coal-fired uh, power plants, relatively mm -hmm. old uh, with a lot of uh, inefficiency uh, in generation. So what is going on? Uh, people are buying uh, very old... Uh, coal-fired power plants and because it's kind of getting private, it's getting out of uh, regulation. Um, there are no mandated repairs, there are no mm. mandated uh, upgrades to the power plants. Mm. They've been able to get a relatively cheap price per kilowatt hour, which is relatively getting pretty close to prices for hydropower in Irkutsk region. Uh, for example, in Russia, people cannot get uh, similar prices on coal-fired uh, power plants, um, even located uh, close to uh, resource base uh, coal, uh, where coal is excavated, because regulation is very strict and uh, people need to show like modernization program, upgrade mm -hmm. program for the facility, and so on. As there is no such uh, strict regulation in Kazakhstan. Are these upgrades that, that are uh, like, you know, emissions uh, types of upgrades or like safety types of upgrades? Uh, everything like um, yeah. efficiency, in, in, increase, uh, decreasing uh, environmental uh, effect of uh, the power plant and uh, safety. In Kazakhstan, it's relatively liberal, so you buy power plant and you run it uh, almost as you wish. Gotcha. So prices are relatively low. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, and, and you're, you're trading that a little bit also for uh, the... Um, maybe lack of certainty around access to the coal or lack of uh, what, what are, what are kind of the, the, the risk factors that you're, that you're looking at uh, when you're there versus Russia with that lower power uh, cost? No, I, I, I mean, kind of Kazakhstan has a lot of coal and all of those power plants are located close to a resource base. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, coal supply is not a big risk factor. Uh, biggest kind of risk factors is that you're getting a very old um, thermal power plant. And gotcha. obviously your biggest efficiency point when you can sell both electricity to mining and heat. But when too, too, too many power plants are used for mining, you cannot sell that much heat. That's why your electricity prices get a little bit higher because you now you can sell only electricity for mining. You cannot sell heat because it's getting too much of heat. And it's getting a little bit less economically efficient. And I believe like probably one year ago when everything of that started, 
electricity, electricity prices for men in Kazakhstan were like even lower than in Irkutsk region, than in Bratsk. But people very quickly understood that they still needed to maintain their power plants, invest at least some money in like upgrades of equipment. They also needed to think that they cannot sell heat and so on. So prices right. get a little bit higher as people get in a little bit more mature in operating as well assets. Right. Makes sense. Um, uh, my, my kind of sense um, is so that to understand where electricity is uh, cheap, at least in a CIS region, it's uh, really important to look at uh, industries located as there because uh, the Soviet Union was a very, you know, kind of centrally uh, organized. So as a government was um, thinking like we have very cheap electricity in this region so let's set up all the kind of um, high electricity consumption industries in that region let's set up welters mm-hmm. there let's set up uh, other industries in that region and uh, this region is Irkutsk region and um, Krasnoyarsk region in Siberia Kazakhstan was also like part of Soviet Union, but it was never considered by a place to locate kind of uh, aluminum smelters. It was kind of more natural based to transmit electricity to to central part of country, to, to Moscow. There was like uh, one million volt uh, power line in uh, kind of construction between Kazakhstan and Moscow because, okay, it's not uh, as cheap as in Siberia, but it's uh, much cheaper than in the central part of uh, Russia. So let's uh, supply electricity to central part of Russia. Mm. Interesting. And uh, you, you touched on kind of the the regulatory factors for the, the power facilities, yeah. regulatory factors for Bitcoin mining uh, in particular. What uh, kind of, can you give us a, a sense of the, of the current uh, state and any any kind of trends you're seeing for the future? Yeah, uh, so in the CIS, uh, regulation is uh, kind of fully developed and very supportive towards uh, Bitcoin mining in the countries like uh, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, um, Belarus, all of them are like really, really supportive. Russia is, is a little bit behind here. And the reason for that is a relatively strict central bank of Russian Federation, which is looking to regulate a kind of a circulation of cryptocurrencies in uh, the country. And uh, they kind of getting very uh, interesting tactics uh, to, to get uh, their ideas uh, through. Um, they kind of saying, okay, let's uh, let's uh, ban everything, and but everything uh, everyone understands in the country that it's kind of as uh, a bargaining uh, point. Okay, uh, we're not banning everything, but we're banning like exchange for fiat. We're banning, uh, banning using uh, Bitcoin for uh, like uh, purchases uh, because I do. Honestly, like understand the situation in the country, I do not expect those um, operations to be uh, open in the country, to be permitted in the next uh, probably couple of years at least. Uh, but mm-hmm. mining is very, uh, is very synergetic to economy of Russia. It's very natural to the country because uh, there is a lot of unused power. We also create jobs in uh, remote places so like all the authorities like a local regional central are very friendly towards mining and even uh, um so kind of currently there is like a debate uh before second reading of uh, new legislation around mining 
Uh, still, we, we, we feel a lot of support towards mining industry in Russia. Mm. Uh, can you also give us a sense of how uh, kind of distributed or, or localized that regulation, those, those kind of relationships that you need to uh, make sure are good are? You know, we hear a lot of, in China about uh, you know, miners uh, in Sichuan and talking to the local governments there versus, uh, you know, in Beijing. Well, give us a sense of how, how uh, I guess, distributed that kind of um, is, is in Russia, I guess. Russia is not a centralized. Uh, Russia is not a distributed in this regard. Russia is very, very centralized. So it's all about like uh, federal legislation. So there are no difference between the regions in this regard. If okay. like, uh, so yeah, it's very centralized. Uh, there is no difference. Uh, difference is only in electricity prices. Uh, that's it. Got it. Uh, and, and then, uh, so you, you've operated data centers all over, uh, really all over the world. Um, are there any other, and I, I guess some, a trend that we've seen kind of discussed, especially, um, you know, folks in the U.S. who, you know, have, have a little bit of advice there, but uh, this kind of geographical distribution globally of, of mining, um, maybe in some senses a, a trend towards places that are, uh, you know, simply more, more, uh, you know, for people in the U.S., most stability. So they're, you know, Nebraska and Texas and places like this. What, what, what's your sense of? Uh, not a very specific question, but what do you kind of see see happening to distribution of mining over the next few years in general? Do you see uh, Russia is still the best opportunity for growth there? Obviously, you're expanding your your operation another hundred megawatts this year. What, what do you see as the um, kind of general trend there? And then what would what are you looking to do, if anything, outside of Russia, CIS, other places? Uh, what, are, what are your general thoughts on geographic distribution, I guess? Yeah, so uh, I, I really believe that mining is getting uh, much more distributed in the next couple of years. Um, the kind of uh, reason for that is that uh, people in uh, places, in countries with a little bit more tricky regulation, uh, more strict rules, more strict kind of energy codes get into the industry. For example, in Russia, uh, it took us uh, a lot of um, time to educate energy company before uh, to educate like local authorities now they're fully supportive uh, but like we were a little bit uh, slower to start than for example china and now uh, we are working uh, we are growing very quickly um uh, setting up uh, new facilities not only us but like a country overall uh, same with kazakhstan and a new cs countries getting to, to to this market like uzbekistan uh, in very soon, I believe we will see like Belarus come to this market and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is definitely uh, good for distribution because like mining is getting uh, distributed, uh, not kind of concentrated, not only in China, but distributed across uh, multiple uh, different regions. And people uh, spent a lot of time to find uh, creative innovative ways to get a cheap electricity in the United States. So mining is getting much more popular there. And I believe it's a really good for, uh, for overall distri- distribution um, of uh, hash power, of mining capacity, uh, because uh, more and more new regions are getting uh, to, uh, to this field. Uh, for many of them, it was a kind of... Uh, 
not very obvious how that electricity would be that uh, inexpensive or that cheap. But after people spent uh, some time and effort working with uh, local regulators, they got the cheap electricity. Uh, in other places, uh, it was like... Uh, probably not on the radar of many people, but it's getting more, uh, more common. And I believe like overall trend is um, uh, for mining uh, to be much more evenly distributed uh, around the world. Now it's overly concentrated in China, but ourselves, many other players like us are working to get it uh, distributed and uh, more common in uh, different markets. And obviously like after we set up a large facility, for example, in Bratz, it's getting attention of uh, local people as they get all right, as those mm-hmm. guys Bitcoin, what uh, Bitcoin is. Uh, we have a cheap residential power. Why not we buy some used uh, devices from those guys and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> so I believe it's really good for like uh, also education of people because like if uh, there are no exchanges, no mining operations in certain region, people just naturally cannot learn about that. But uh, for example, in Bratsk, we have like a lot of ju- just uh, const- uh, contractors who come and to do some construction for us after that they are coming back to us saying all right can you tell us about uh, bitcoin what it is uh, what economics of bitcoin is and we see uh, those people kind of buying a small quantity of devices sometimes like regular workers are coming to us okay what is uh, bitcoin can we buy one a mining machine we have a very cheap residential power in, uh, in our apartment and I believe like it all works uh, for distribution kind of educating people around the world yeah. if uh, kind of all the hash power is concentrated in one country it's uh, really hard of, uh, for people around the world to to, uh, to understand it and get into mining space but after um, there are like more and more uh, large institutional uh, facilities in uh, different regions uh, it's getting more kind of natural for local people to start doing that as well Mm, for sure. And uh, uh, for these, uh, so distribution is, is kind of a trend that you're, you're, you're talking about for the um, institutional folks who are wanting to have part of their distribution, maybe of, uh, of where they're mining be with you and in Russia. Uh, what are you, um, what are you getting a sense of trends in, in the makeup of those institutions? Is it kind of family offices that are wanting to do this? Is it, or are you seeing any, um, are you getting in, any interest from kind of government bodies in Russia or from, uh, from maybe, uh, you know, energy companies that are looking to maybe do a, a trial run with someone who's uh, more experienced before doing something with their own, uh, with their own capacity? What are, what are trends you're seeing in, in the institutions? Yeah, I, I would say that uh, first of all, uh, definitely family offices because uh, they are very uh, flexible in their mandates. Uh, so uh, family offices, industrial companies, large industrial companies are getting to this uh, place well, uh, but it takes uh, them a little bit longer time because of like internal regulations, uh, internal uh, procedures, but uh, they also get into the play. Uh, governmental uh, bodies would get to the play, I believe, uh, the last after all the regulation is uh, fully uh, set up in the country yeah are you uh for the people who you're kind of uh who are who you are kind of their you know expert on the industry coming in uh are you helping them with kind of the the next steps of all right now we're, we're mining 
what do we do now? Are, are you helping with any of the kind of connections to like OTC brokers or, you know, exchanges? Is that something you do at all? Or you're, you're straight mining and then they're, uh, they do what they want after. It's definitely not a business for us, but like, uh-huh. uh, some introductions, some connections. Yes, obviously we're doing that. Uh, yeah. Because like some people who are relatively new to the space, uh, they're reaching out, okay, how do we exchange? What OTC do we use? What exchange do we use? Yes, uh, that's definitely uh, takes place, but like it's not a major kind of area of attention for us. For sure. It's kind of more kind of discussion, um, speaking to our clients and trying to, to help them. For sure. And then uh, the... Uh, in terms of, of mining pools, there's been, uh, I, th- I think, a lot of competition from the pools um, to be known in the CIS region to grab that business. Um, who are you seeing is doing the best job of um, making inroads? And then what is the process of, uh, at least for y'all, what does the process look like of um, you know, winning your business? And um, uh, kind of how, how do you think about what pools to work with? Very simple. Um... Our responsibility as a mining uh, data center operator is to uh, prepare all the necessary infrastructure for our clients to choose uh, from different pools. So we work with uh, almost all large pools uh, to establish reliability of channels, um, uh, internet channels, uh, to uh, deploy the servers on site uh, just to minimize any delays. So our responsibility is to provide very robust, very reliable and uh, fast infrastructure for our clients to use and uh, it's up to our clients to choose different pools got it uh and then uh any uh, kind of final thoughts on general trends you're seeing coming out of the having uh specifically in russia maybe um was it a, a, a pickup of interest around uh you know news about the having what it was what uh kind of price trends are, are you thinking about coming up I would say that, uh, first of all, like, we see that many people, many, like, uh, family offices who were kind of, um, kind of waiting till Halvin are now actively uh, putting money into new generation machines, I believe, mm-hmm. like, I mean, like, S19s and so on. Um, for them, uh, Halvin is uh, just uh, one uncertainty removed uh, from the equation. Uh, they were waiting for that because uh, they were wondering what uh, would happen after that. And yeah. now they, uh, they just uh, started uh, spending money on devices. So uh, I, I believe like uh, Halvin is a very, very well pre- uh, predicted event. We know when the second Halvin would happen. So it's not kind of... Uh, random stuff, but uh, people were waiting until Halvin just to understand what uh, would happen in the uh, first months after Halvin and now uh, spending money and buying more machines. For sure. All right. Well, thank, thanks for uh, covering all this. I guess our, our last um, thing that we, that we do is a recommendation. So uh, one recommendation that's um, something from where you are, from Moscow, from something in Russia, a movie, book, food. Give us, give us one recommendation for folks who, who uh, be coming there at some point. All right, cool. Um, lake Baikal. Lake Baikal is uh, the largest by volume lake in the world. It's located lake in the region. Yeah, pretty close to 
our facility, like just as a couple, uh, not couple, but several hours driving from our facility. And it's uh, just uh, amazing. It's just so beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful in winter. It's beautiful in summer. I believe it's uh, just a huge natural attraction. Uh, and also it's kind of source of Lake Angarai, which gives us a lot of power in a, Siberia, ah. <laughs> a beautiful place just uh, to check, to visit. And after Lake Baikal, uh, happy to show our data center. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Do you, have a, do you have a dacha yourself over by uh, the lake? <laughs> uh, in other place <laughs> because, because I am I am in, I'm initially not from Irkutsk region, so my dachi is uh, in different place. <laughs> All right, good deal. Well, uh, thanks for, thanks for your time, and uh, we'll have to talk to you again for some more uh, insights as as uh, as mining and then the CIS and Russia in particular in the news. Sure, thank you very much. reminder all of the content in this episode is for informational purposes only you should not construe any such information or other material as legal tax investment financial or other advice nothing contained in this presentation constitutes solicitation recommendation endorsement or offer by btc media the let's talk bitcoin podcast network or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments